Welcome to Senequanon News. I'm your anchor, Persona Non Grata. Today we have a special presentation of a unified field theory for economics. Before we get into our presentation, let's define a couple of economic terms. Recession and depression. A recession is two or more quarters of declining GDP, high unemployment, stagnating or falling wages, falling home sales and prices, and stock market declines. A recession can be more localized. A depression is skyrocketing unemployment, plummeting wages, falling prices, significant and extended declining GDP, widespread bank failures, and significant stock market declines. A depression tends to be more global. Recessions last for months, while depressions last for years. The Great Depression saw 25% unemployment, wages fell 42.5%, GDP declined by 29%, and a third of the banks failed from 1929 to 1933. The U.S. was on the gold standard at the time, and the government decreased our gold reserves by one-third, which caused all the panic and the mayhem. We learned the wrong lesson from the Great Depression. We learned that instead of decreasing the money supply in economic hard times, we should increase the money supply as a rule and increase it maximally in economic hard times and bail out the incompetent businesses. This argument was strengthened by Keynes' economic model of increased government spending to stimulate the economy. After suffering the effects of inflation for the last several decades in the form of lost purchasing power, it is clear that the best answer is to leave the money supply alone. There should be a large fixed amount of currency and that's it. So how do we start our journey to discovering a unified field theory for economics? To do this, we need to define the fields that comprise the economy, what we have learned about economics, and what has worked best historically in economics. Then we can propose an optimal solution. What are the fields that comprise the economy? They are currency, trade, regulation, banking, legal, governments, markets, finance, and integrity. Legal means fair enforcement of contracts preventing and punishing all forms of market manipulation, and preventing and punishing all forms of business fraud. This ties in directly to integrity in the business world. Markets function to allow participation in business, transparency of financial and prospective statements, and thus facilitate market information to the public at large. Finance speaks to the access to public financial markets and sophisticated financial products. Largely, the U.S. already meets the standards for these fields, and regulation may be a necessary evil, but over-regulation is every bit as dangerous as under-regulation. So we will be fo focusing primarily on currency, government, and banking as the missing pieces. Government is considered primarily in the form of taxes combined with currency for inflation and central banking. We will be looking at three different periods with arguably the best real economic growth in American history since the end of the Civil War. That would be the 80s, 1980s, the World War II economy, and the Long Depression from 1873 to 1879. Let's start with the World War II economy. Beginning in 1939, annual GDP kicked off at 8%, followed by 8.8%, 17.7%, 18.8%, 17%, and 
and ended with 8%. Inflation for the same period was 0%, 0 0.7%, 9.9%, 9%, 3%, 2.3%, and 2.2%. There was a belated 18.1% inflation rate the year after the period. The top marginal tax rate went from 79% to 94% at its peak. The lowest tax rate went from 4% to 23% at its peak. The tax rate for earnings over 50000 went from 35% to 78% at its peak. Peak tax rates occurred in 1944. The GDP from 1980 to 1988 was minus 0.3%, 2.5%, 1.8%, 4.6%, 7.2%, 4.2%, 3.5%, and 4.2%. Inflation for the same period was 12.5%, 8 8.9%, 3.8%, 3.8%, 3.9%, 3.8%, 1.1%, 4.4%, 4.4%, Top marginal tax rates went from 70% to 38.5%. The lowest tax rate went from 14% to 11%. The tax rate for earnings over 45000 went from 49% to 28%. Next, we move to the 1873 to 1879 period, or what is commonly referred to as the Long Depression. From my research, the economy expanded at a rate of 5 to 6.8% per year. Prices fell 3% a year. There were no income taxes. You literally could have stuffed your savings in a mattress and been 21% richer after seven years. In an era where mass markets were unavailable to the everyday American, benefits redounded to the currency in the form of purchasing power. To me, it looks and sounds like economic nirvana. The Long Depression was kicked off by the failure of the Northern Pacific Railway. There were 18,000 bankruptcies over the period, or 2,571 annually. Bankruptcies now run into half a million or more annually with a peak of 1.6 million in 2004. The worst unemployment got in the Long Depression was 8.25%, which was arrested early in the following decades. Depression? Sign me up. Which economic period was the best for everyday Americans? Which economic period should we use as the best model moving forward? I believe it should be the period of the Long Depression. I don't believe this because of the incredible economic growth, which was better in the World War II era. In the scheme of economic development, we were in the infrastructure building phase. However, taxes in the form of taxes and inflation basically didn't exist in the Long Depression and were crippling in the World War II period. A few words on inflation and deflation. Inflation is rising prices and deflation is falling prices in general. Inflation is portrayed as bad, and deflation is portrayed as devastating. There are good reasons for deflation. Prices might fall because of infrastructure or increased productivity due to better manufacturing methods, better distribution methods, and technological advances. There are many reasons prices might change, but the most important one to consider when identifying inflation or deflation is the quantity or supply of currency. 
This is the sole domain of government. Inflation is the government's grift. They have convinced us that a little bit of inflation is good because they force companies to pay estimated income taxes first, which means they get to spend the money before it loses its value due to inflation. That's right. Inflation devalues your currency by increasing the currency supply and the retail nominal interest rate. On the other hand, deflation increases the value of the currency by reducing its supply. This might lower interest rates if you had inflation in prior years, but would not change interest rates after that was taken out. The truly negative economic impact comes from government manipulating the quantity of currency. That's what the Long Depression proves. There was a perceived abundance of currency. The government had just started printing currency backed by gold. In this day and age, merchants also accepted actual gold and silver as currency. And finally, the universal currency of the world for the last several hundred years, the pieces of eight, was still the universal currency of the world. The most important point about currency is that it is in abundance and seems almost infinite. Yet, it is a finite quantity, i.e. fixed or backed by gold at a certain price. It is a medium of exchange, so it must be plentiful and always available. I believe the only reason it is called the Long Depression is due to deflation. As inflation hurts the poorer among us, so does deflation help. You earned a 21% return over seven years without having to have a bank account or any type of securities account. Most transactions took place with physical currency, and even most banking was done in physical currency. If the Long Depression was this good, and it was just the infrastructure building phase of our economic development, how much did we lose during our manufacturing phase, electronics phase, and technological phase? If target inflation is 2% and technological advances have prices, you haven't lost 2%, you've lost 52%. Think about that for a minute. Apparently, government can't tax purchasing power or currency strength. As you can see, this puts the government in an adversarial relationship with us. Unfortunately, the government considered us to be in an adversarial relationship long before this was ever realized. Where does this leave us in our unified field theory for economics? It leaves us with answers and undeniable truths. All we have to do is compare the policies we had in these eras to figure out what the best policy is. We'll take the currency, banking, regulation, and trade policy in turn. The best currency is to have a large fixed quantity of currency that can never be changed. There was no central bank. The Fed didn't set interest rates and manage the economy. There were no income taxes and the federal government didn't regulate the economy from production to consumption. Trade policy was still naive due to tariffs and exchange controls. The best trade policy accepted by most economists is free trade. I believe in free trade, but also reciprocal retaliation for trade tariffs, restrictions, and sanctions. We must also recognize advances in finance and investment. It wasn't possible to participate in the general or national economic market in the 1870s. The average investor was limited to participate in individual businesses. Now, even the smallest investor can participate in the broad economy through index funds. Problem solved. 
how would we implement the lessons learned in today's economy? Most of it is as simple as implementing new policy and actually simplifying or reducing responsibilities. Free and reciprocal trade policy doesn't need any contract or agreement with trading partners. You just let them know you're a free trader, and any trade restrictions from them will be mirrored on our side. Get rid of the Fed. We can't have a free economy if it's managed by the Fed. Their motto is lender of last resort, and they don't see that as an insurance policy. It's a goal, which means guaranteed economic collapses every dozen years or so. We also need to simplify and improve our bankruptcy laws within this country. What about income taxes? Wow. Talk about the most popular thing in the world. Of course, income taxes will have to be replaced with another form of tax. Before income taxes, we used to fund government with tariffs and occasionally with sales taxes. Tariffs are bad foreign trade policy. I would advocate for contract taxes, and this would include business transactions. This would be a huge boon to the people wasting so much time and headache on taxes. Taxes would be paid and compliance would be easier, while tax fraud would be much harder to get away with. When it comes to currency, am I suggesting going back to the gold standard? No. Here's why. Currencies based on commodities, especially rare commodities, are subject to market manipulation that then hurts your currency. I did mention that believing there was a fixed amount of currency was important. Well, new ores of gold are still being discovered. The dollar amount of gold traded in paper on markets is like 10 times the current physical amount of proven gold reserves. State actors can manipulate global commodities and mess with currencies based on commodities, creating economic warfare. For currency, I would recommend a private crypto coin like Bitcoin. Definitely not Fedcoin and even the most uh, other centralized cryptos. Like Bitcoin, it would be peer-to-peer or definitely have the ability to be peer-to-peer in a sort of hybrid, centralized, peer-to-peer model. There would be a large fixed quantity of the cryptocurrency, like 100 quadrillion. There would be a currency file and a key file to unlock it for exchange. That way you could separate the lock from the key and don't have to remember long, secure passwords. Did you know that Bitcoin slippage is around 6 to 7 million total coins? due to forgotten passwords of being stuck or lost on old PCs or PC media. You would also be required to set up beneficiaries, and there should be an algorithm to recover lost currency. It would be blockchain-based and ideally self-validating, so mining and associated energy and technological costs wouldn't be there. The nice part about the private peer-to-peer crypto solution is it doesn't require banking just like in the 1870s. As far as banking goes, I would deregulate deregulate it completely. They are already so heavily regulated that the regulators are running the banking industry. People, industries, and businesses have to mature. They have to figure out how to survive on their own if they are to self-perpetuate. If anyone asks for my suggestion on running a bank, I would tell them to maintain a reserve requirement of 25% or more and never let any 1 to 100 or less than 5% of total depositors accumulate demand accounts of more than 20% of current cash. At that point, they should be pushed to non-demand products or turned away. 
That way, a large depositor can't make a large deposit one day, you lend it out for a five-year loan, and then they demand it back a few months later. Even if you just lend out a portion of the deposit, the depositor can demand all of it back, and you are obligated to return it all. This concludes the research data, policies, and policy recommendations. Economics has been stuck in such a cycle of Keynesian and monetarist arguments that the observation of data and drawing useful conclusions from that data have been lost. I hope I was able to introduce you to some new economic data, understanding of that data, information about what that data means, and conclusions worth examining and debating. For Senequanon News, I'm Persona Non Grata. Please spay and neuter your politicians. Good night.